we asked, uh, you know, what if uh, you don't necessarily operate uh, the hydro in Quebec as, as storage, but what if you, you only allow it to, uh, essentially you only allow New England to import energy and you don't allow New England to export energy. So in other words, you're not using the hydro as a battery, you're just using it as source of energy when it's economical to dispatch. Um, and we, we see that you know, the hydropower producer in this case loses revenue and loses value. Um, so it's, it's suboptimal to, to operate it this way. Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks, the podcast where we discuss global energy issues and trends with experts from around the world. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. In this episode, I'll be talking to Emil Dimenchev, a PhD candidate at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, about his co-authored paper, The Role of Hydro Hydropower Reservoirs in Deep Decarbonization Policy, recently published in the journal Science Direct. So welcome to Energy Talks, Emil. Thanks, Markham. I'm delighted to be here. And my apologies uh, for mispronouncing your name. Of course, it's Emil. So to get started on this, I, I, uh, I'm very interested in this because particularly in North America, there are parts of uh, Canada and the US where there's a lot of hydropower uh, development and the province where I live, British Columbia has a lot of it. Uh, Quebec, which is part of your uh, uh, paper, you, you looked at Quebec and, and New England and the United States. Uh, and then there's a lot of potential for, re for renewables development right next to uh, jurisdictions that have hydro. And I hear a lot of experts talking about how hydro can provide storage for renewables, but I haven't come across the kind of analysis that you've done where you've actually modeled that and talked about the economics and, and, uh, and, and also fossil fuel power generation. So let's start, if you don't mind, with a, just a, a summary of your paper. Sure. Um, so the paper that uh, we recently published in Energy Policy was really motivated uh, kind of on the one hand by um, this fundamental question of you know, how would uh, governments be able to accomplish the deep decarbonization of electricity systems. Uh, but on the other hand, these very concrete and urgent questions that uh, jurisdictions are asking uh, about um, could hydropower play a role uh, within the planning of low carbon power systems as a solution. Um, so that the, these questions are being asked uh, in New England, uh, in New York, um, and as you point out, Alberta and other jurisdictions that are um, in close proximity to these hydropower reservoirs. Um, hydropower uh, is, of course, one of the earliest um, electricity generation technologies that, that we had, um, but uh, it hasn't been growing very much uh, recently. And maybe that's why it doesn't often feature in uh, conversations about decarbonization. Maybe there's a certain uh, sort of idea of hydropower as a legacy technology. Uh, but the fact is that there is a lot of existing uh, hydropower around the world. Um, there's about a thousand gigawatts uh, worldwide, which is something like a thousand big nuclear plants. Um, so, so there's a lot of capacity that we could be using potentially better than we currently are. Um, and what we discovered early on, kind of looking into these topics, is that the limiting factor currently is that these hydropower resources are not sufficiently connected 
to uh, nearby electricity systems where they could be potentially helpful. Um, so this is the case with British Columbia and Alberta, and this is the case with Quebec and New England, but also Norway and the rest of Europe, um, as well as uh, all across uh, looking at hydropower resources in southwestern China, for instance, that are currently being connected to demand in the East. Uh, so the, the question that we are asking in, in this paper is, as these jurisdictions are decarbonizing their electricity, uh, what role could um, hydropower access play in their power planning? So we are testing the effects and the value of building transmission to existing hydropower resources um, and seeing what role that might play in, in planning um, of, of decarbonization of electricity. Uh, and to give you the top level findings, uh, what we um, conclude with uh, after looking at, you know, specifically the case of New England and Quebec is that if New England were to increase its access to existing hydropower resources in Quebec, uh, that would um, first accelerate decarbonization uh, mainly by reducing the need for gas plant capacity. Um, and secondly, it would uh, make low carbon electricity cheaper. Uh, and that is mainly because uh, if we had more access to hydropower, we would be relying less on more expensive ways of balancing renewable intermittency. Now, this has some practical applications, Emil, because uh, two examples that we're talking about in Canada so far, which is Quebec and, and British Columbia, uh, there are uh, policy issues here. So for instance, if uh, your uh, thesis is, is accurate, uh, that would suggest that uh, Ontario, which is currently bringing 12,000 megawatts of generating capacity offline, three nuclear plants, they're one, retiring one and, and uh, two will be going down for uh, refurbishment during the 2020s. And they plan to replace all of that uh, power with natural gas at a time when the country is trying to bring down its greenhouse gas emissions. Quebec has actually tried to talk Ontario into using uh, to importing its hydropower and has been, well, if not ignored, if not rebuffed, they've been ignored. And this could be one of those, those arguments uh, where you could, you know, for policymakers, you could say, look, if Ontario would play nice with Quebec, Ontario could build out low cost wind and, and uh, solar, which it has, you know, plenty of really good resources for. And then the combination of the two would, would not only decarbonize uh, the system, you wouldn't need as many gas plants or any, maybe not even any gas plants. And at the same time, perhaps bring down electricity costs in, in Ontario. And looking further west to BC and Alberta, uh, BC is looking uh, primarily south. It, most of its trade right now in electricity is south with the Western United States. And there's no interest in BC to build interties with Alberta uh, so that Alberta could build out its uh, wind and solar resources in Southern Alberta, which are the best in Canada, and then work together. And so these, it, it seems to me that these kinds of studies could be ammunition for policymakers to say, hang on a second, maybe we need to think about the, uh, the relationship between hydro and renewables in these two jurisdictions in Canada. And I'm sure this 
conversation could be repeated in different jurisdictions in the United States. So is that part of the, the motivation or the, the target audience for your paper is policymakers? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, uh, these points that you have raised um, get at the really important um, idea that uh, planning uh, the decarbonization of electricity requires these deliberate um, actions and kind of thinking strategically about um, you know, what kind of resources uh, should we be supporting. Um, and uh, you know, one of the motivations for, for this study is um, a, the case of Denmark, uh, which uh, is uh, the number one country when it comes to um, non-hydro renewable share in their electricity mix. At least last I, I checked uh, this data is from a few years ago. Um, so the question is, how has Denmark managed that? Uh, and uh, if you ask the Danish um, uh, sort of uh, electricity power regulator, they say that a big part of the solution for them has been the fact that they can trade electricity with uh, neighbors. Um, and a big part of that trading is with Norway, which has um, hydropower reservoirs that are of similar characteristics to those in Quebec and, and those in British Columbia as well, that provide this kind of storage for the renewables, mainly the large amounts of wind capacity that Denmark has. Um, so we were uh, wondering, you know, how would this translate to um, looking forward uh, to when electricity should be completely or nearly completely decarbonized uh, if we are to meet the goals of the Biden administration or the goals of Massachusetts, which recently signed a law for a net zero um, climate target by 2050. Um, so, you know, what role would this um, complementarity between hydro and renewables play in, in a, a power system that is almost completely decarbonized or, or completely decarbonized? Uh, and I think, the reason that our paper is, is relevant and maybe a little bit, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, unexpected uh, in certain places, um, even though, you know, uh, it kind of, uh, in retrospect, it's kind of obvious that hydro and renewables are, are very complementary. Uh, but I think we get the, our results kind of get at a limitation in current thinking that I want to kind of bring out here. And, and that is that, um, hydropower is seen as this source of baseload energy. Uh, the Baker administration, uh, for instance, in Massachusetts, uh, used the term baseload hydro at one point. Um, and, you know, I think uh, to, to echo a point uh, made by Michael Liebreich at Bloomberg New Energy Finance that I like, um, if baseload is your answer, you're probably asking the wrong question. Um, so, if we think about you know, how do we build low carbon power systems that are affordable and reliable, we see that you know, kind of the, um, uh, the consensus is we need a lot of wind and solar. And then the question becomes, what do we put around that centerpiece of wind and solar to balance intermittency? Um, and that's when we see that hydro is not optimally operated as baseload, but it would be optimal to operate uh, the existing hydro that we have as this balancing resource. And, and what we say in the paper is specifically the optimal role for hydro is as energy storage. Um, and the, the, the special thing about hydro that we can talk about is that it's 
it, it balances uh, intermittency. It can be storage at multiple timescales from uh, hourly to seasonal to even uh, multi-yearly. So we need to start thinking about hydro less as base load and more as storage it is, is a big part of it. That, that's a very important idea. So let's talk about uh, the optimal role of reservoir hydro as energy storage. And how do reservoirs provide both short and long-term storage in low carbon power systems? Right, uh, so it's important uh, not to conflate the different types of uh, hydropower that exist out there. Uh, so I, I like to clarify that um, there is um, hydropower that um, is called pumped hydro, um, where um, you have two reservoirs upstream and downstream and, and you're um, pumping water upstream uh, to store and then use gravity to uh, produce energy later on. And this is the most, you know, sort of the most common um, thing that people think about when you say hydro as storage. Um, this is not what we're talking about here in, in the paper. However, um, what, we, what we're looking at in the, in the paper is what we call hydro reservoirs or reservoir hydro, uh, which is really a type of hydropower plants that have large dams um, uh, behind the, uh, the impoundment and behind the turbines that uh, allow the operators of the plant uh, discretion as to when they let the water through and when they produce energy. Um, and uh, in, in a lot of cases, these, these kinds of um, reservoirs can be operated relatively flexibly so that um, you, uh, you can schedule the hydropower to uh, change its uh, power production either within uh, less than a second. Uh, so actually hydropower often provides ancillary services in power markets in the, in the US and in Canada and elsewhere. Um, things like voltage control and frequency regulation and things like that. Um, but you know, more importantly, uh, if you have uh, reservoirs that are of a certain size and if you have uh, river systems that allow you to change the river flow, um, over time, uh, then you know potentially you could also store and uh, store water um, from you know anywhere between you know hours to seasons and, and years. Uh, this flexibility really depends on the design of the the plant. It's not just uh, things like the size of the reservoir, uh, but it, for instance, in the U.S., there are plenty of big reservoirs. Um, but um, one thing about the U.S. is that uh, dams are used for um, a lot of other purposes that take precedence over power production. Um, so there are strict limits on how much power you can let through at any given time. Now, plants can be designed in certain ways to allow for more flexibility. Um, so for instance, if um, a plant is only allowed to release a certain amount of water, what it could do is build a second reservoir that is downstream. Um, this is called a re-regulation reservoir um, that can absorb some of the outflow um, and essentially you know, manage the, the flow on the river and the, the ecosystem impacts while allowing you to produce a lot of power at once. So that, that's just one example of how um, you know, there's sort of a spectrum of, of hydropower uh, plants and, and some are more flexible than others. Um, 
And uh, it turns out that in, in, in Quebec, the reservoirs are relatively flexible. I want to run an example past you uh, so we can talk about value of storage versus uh, power generation. So BC Hydro is building uh, the Site C Dam in Northeastern British Columbia. It's a couple of years into construction, very controversial. And it's had a number of cost overruns. So they, they, BC Hydro had estimated that it would, the levelized cost of energy would be between six and eight cents a kilowatt hour, you know, years ago. Uh, now with the cost overruns, estimates are maybe around 13, 14, maybe even 15 cents a kilowatt hour. It's very expensive. And so the question was, should the project just be scrapped and take your losses and, and, and uh, go home? And a couple of economists from the University of Calgary did a study and they said, look, if all we're using this for is baseload power, the power is too expensive, the project's too expensive, we should just, the government should just stop it. But if it uses that as storage for Alberta renewables, then that electricity, the storage, adds so much more value than it is economic to go ahead with the, with the dam. And so that raises the question, is there a difference in value between just the hydro dam as a, a power generator and, a, and the hydro dam as, a, as storage? Does that increase the value of it? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, this is something we uh, tested in our study as well uh, a little bit where we asked, uh, you know, what if uh, you don't necessarily operate uh, the hydro in Quebec as, as storage, but what if you you only allow it to, uh, essentially you only allow New England to import energy and you don't allow New England to export energy. So in other words, you're not using the hydro as a battery, you're just using it as source of energy when it's economical to dispatch. Um, and we, we see that you know, the hydropower producer in this case, loses revenue and loses value. Um, so it's, it's suboptimal to, to operate it this way. Um, and, and this gets at kind of a larger question of, you know, there are, uh, there's sort of the power system today and there's the power system in the future. And our study tries to kind of take a more forward looking view and say, this is what we should be preparing for. And yes, the current market value of um, storage might not be, uh, might not pencil out, um, but, uh, you know, hopefully policymakers would be able to kind of connect uh, the future and the present and create incentives for us to be ready for, for the future. Now, uh, we see other forms of storage coming into, uh, being integrated into power grids, such as batteries, compressed air, that sort of thing. And there are limited hydro resources in most of the jurisdictions we're talking about, maybe with the exception of Quebec, which still has a lot of hydrological resources that haven't been, could, could still be exploited. But in BC, that's not the case. Uh, there are, it's lim more limited. Manitoba, Manitoba Hydro, which is uh, to the east of Saskatchewan, uh, has more limited resources than it uh, used to have. So the question becomes, can we integrate other forms of storage, such as battery and compressed air and so on, with hydro in the build out of renewables in this low carbon or decarbonized energy grid that we're talking about? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And I want to kind of point out what our study doesn't say. So we're not trying to argue that hydro is the single best storage technology and we don't need anything else. Um, or that we should put all of our eggs in this one basket. 
Um, instead, uh, there's a lot of complementarity that our study um, demonstrates with between hydro and other clean energy technologies. Um, so um, batteries, for instance, is something that uh, when we model the New England and Quebec power systems in 2050, you know, for when we're supposed to be decarbonized, um, we see that the um, optimal solution of, of the model that we've built, so the, you know, what we would want the power system to look like ideally, uh, does include significant amounts of battery storage. Um, and that is for multiple reasons. One being that uh, it has become very cheap uh, with uh, recent cost declines. Uh, and it is a very economical way of providing daily um, storage and shifting in particular uh, solar uh, from the middle of the day to the evening peak. Um, uh, what, it, what battery storage is not good at is um, kind of providing what some, some people call synoptic um, storage or, or weekly storage where you might have low uh, wind output for a period of many days. Um, and so uh, for that, we need another solution and there are other kind of uh, batteries being developed to handle that. Uh, and we should absolutely keep developing those technologies and those types of flow batteries. Um, pumped hydro, if we sort of designed it a certain way, might be able to provide a little bit longer storage. And then of course there's seasonal storage, which is really important and when, where hydro provides this sort of very unique value uh, that is not handled by uh, batteries. The, the real competition between hydro is with um, uh, fossil fuel uh, plants like gas plants or gas plants with CCS. Um, these are the technologies that hydro is displacing uh, from the power grid if we uh, increase its, its role and if we increase access to hydropower. Um, there is a little bit of competition as well between hydro and batteries, but as I said, they're kind of providing different, uh, different functions. Now, let's look ahead to the, the future. You talked about 2050, and in, in my interviews with other experts, about the future of electricity systems. They're, they talk about, and this is particularly true in the United States, uh, for market-oriented systems that are, instead of vertically integrated monopolies, we're talking about distributed energy resources platforms, we're talking about a web of grids. And what role then does transmission play? If we're gonna be going to more of a local or regionalized generation and consumption, these smaller grids, and the web of grids, what role does transmission and hydro play in all of that? Mm -hmm. Right, so uh, there's there's a lot of, um, uh, that there's a lot that distributed energy resources can uh, do toward meeting electricity demand in the future in a, in a clean way. Um, there does um, kind of, there do remain other challenges with meeting peak load. So. Um, whether you have a lot of, um, you know, distributed solar, for instance, that provides a lot of energy that maybe could be shifted a little bit with distributed batteries, um, there might be uh, extreme points uh, of, of uh, uh, you know, weather or high demand when we still need to transmit a lot of um, power from bulk power plants to uh, neighborhoods. Um, so the amount of transmission capacity uh, still kind of remains important uh, there. Uh, also, from a, a sort of hedging perspective of, um, you know, uh, ensuring uh, resilience. 
Um, and there's also a, a question of economics um, as to whether um, it is uh, sort of um, economical to rely on and to what extent can we rely on distributed energy resources uh, versus uh, bulk um, sort of transmission level resources, utility scale, solar utility scale, wind, and hydro, uh, which um, you know have certain economies of scale advantages. Um, people that have tried to, to model these things, um, there's a great study that recently came out uh, from Vibrant Clean Energy uh, led by Christopher Clack, uh, which showed that you know if you sort of uh, take into account the possibilities that exist on the distribution side in terms of behind the meter uh, solar and behind the meter um, storage, as well as if you sort of um, uh, account for the economies of scale of um, larger utility scale plants, um, you see that uh, you, you need a certain amount of both uh, and they, they both play significant roles. Um, and uh, that's kind of, the way I, th I think about it as well is, uh, you know, uh, we probably, um, we, we shouldn't be neglecting either one. And I, I see in Canada, the studies um, around electrification and what will be required, how much more electricity will be required as we shift to electric transportation and, and we electrify industry and we electrify some of our building stock and so on. And the estimates are probably at least twice as much by 2050, maybe as much as uh, three times as much. And that sort of suggests that we can't throw out uh, one system in favor of another, but I would assume that we'll have this hybrid system grow up where we'll have plenty of local distributed energy resources, plus we'll have centralized uh, generation in the form of wind and solar farms and hydro dams and, and all sorts of things. Is, is that kind of where we're going? Is this more complex web and that, that, that hydro play can and will play a really important role in that going forward? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, we do, uh, in our paper, we do um, model a scenario where uh, New England not just decarbonizes its electricity grid, but also achieves um, significant electrification, almost completely electrifies transportation, and almost completely electrifies heating. Um, and so what would that do and how does that change the role of hydro? Um, and we see that hydro still plays uh, a really important role uh, in providing seasonal um, and weekly uh, storage. Um, for 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 the renewables that are that are on the system, um, one of the sort of questions that uh, come up is, you know, wouldn't electrification raise uh, winter uh, demand a lot, and so um, wouldn't that make hydro a lot uh, less valuable because um, hydro reservoirs are relatively emptier uh, in the winter? Um, but what we actually see is that if New England were to electrify, and I think that's true for other places as well, there's a very large increase in not just in winter demand, but also in summer demand. Um, and that's also when uh, wind output is relatively low uh, in New England and other places as well. Um, so in, in our modeling, we see that um, in the, this kind of future, hydro provides this economically valuable service of shifting energy um, from the winter when actually we have a lot of wind uh, to the summer when we need 
more energy in, in New England in an electrification case. Um, another, another thing that this raises though is this conception that um, hydro is a source of energy. Um, but I think, uh, you know, so, so sometimes uh, these discussions about uh, integrating hydro in systems like Alberta or, or, uh, or uh, Washington state or uh, New England, um, so, sometimes the, the pushback that I hear is, uh, does, do these hydropower systems actually have enough energy to provide? And I think that gets kind of another misconception uh, is that um, the optimal role uh, of uh, this hydro kind of, as I already alluded, is not as a source of energy, but it's as a source of capacity. Um, so providing energy at the right times, essentially. Um, if we want energy, I think we should be thinking more about wind and solar, which are kind of the mainstays of, of the low carbon power system. Um, but then when we want to uh, go, when we want to kind of have firm capacity or energy when we need it, that's when, that's when the hydro comes in. So it's not a question of, oh, electrification will increase energy needs and in, you know, Quebec or British Columbia or all these places with hydro will have plenty of energy demand to, um, to meet themselves so they won't be able to export energy to other places. I think that's a little bit misplaced uh, because, um, you know, yes, there might be days when Quebec will need a lot of energy at once, um, but there will be many other days when uh, it, it won't, even in an electrification case, and the hydro can shift the energy to, to when we really need it. Let's uh, wrap up the interview, uh, Emil, with a uh, question of the, the cost, uh, hydro reducing the cost of decarbonization. So um, how do you quantify that and what kind of a, a cost reduction are we talking about? Great, thanks. So, so that's a really good question. Um, the, way we, the way we quantify this uh, is, um, you know, a, a big part of kind of the motivation for this study was um, to really try to get at the uh, systems value of uh, hydropower um, and not just um, some abstract measure of, uh, of its value. So, you know, oftentimes a lot of people compare electricity technologies and they use the uh, levelized cost of energy, uh, which, which I think, you know, is not meant for uh, the ways that many people many times use it. Um, and it, there's sort of apples and oranges uh, comparisons oftentimes. Uh, the way that I think, I think I would argue the best way to really quantify the value of a given technology is to model the whole system and to look at the total system cost with and without that technology. Um, and, and that's important because uh, the, the impacts that a given technology might have on the grid are really dependent on the context within which it operates. It's really a systems question of how these different parts interact together. Um, and so what we, what we do is we create this, um, this model of the Quebec and New England power systems. Um, and we uh, first model a case in 2050 where uh, there's uh, transmission between the two regions that's equal to the, the current capacity of transmission that we have. So that's kind of a, you know, if, if nothing happened or, or if, if we did not expand transmission, this is the future that, you know, this imaginary future, you know, we're not trying to predict anything. This is just an experiment. Uh, and we can get into kind of 
you know, what models really tell us if you want. Um, but basically we have this one future and then we have, we are simulating another scenario in which uh, we are actually building additional transmission between uh, Quebec and New England. Uh, and then we model that again with our systems model. And that gives us a different uh, cost for what the total power system would cost to build and operate. Uh, and then we compared the two. Uh, and so what those results tell us is that if you add uh, four gigawatts of additional transmission between the regions, uh, that reduces the total cost of the system by 10 to 30%, uh, depending on the scenario that, that you're looking at, depending on the amount of decarbonization uh, that uh, you're looking at. Um, and I should point out when I say 10 to 30%, that's relative to um, more or less the, the wholesale uh, cost of energy. Um, so it's not, it's not relative to the, the total, you know, uh, electricity bill that people would pay, which includes a lot of other things that are outside of the scope of our model. Uh, but it, it's, it represents a lower cost relative to the wholesale um, cost of energy. Emil, thank you very much for this. It's uh, fascinating insight to a topic that I've often uh, had questions about because of all these debates around renewables and hydro and uh, really appreciate it. And good luck with your research. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.